that the artist who made this called it the spirit of Detroit. And you'll notice that in the one hand is a family and in the other hand is, is a kind of orb of some kind representing God. And, and it says that the artist, his express depiction in this form of art in the statue is to express that God through the spirit of man is manifested in family, the noblest of human relationships. And like I said, it's called the spirit of Detroit. And I think the interesting thing there is that if there's anything in the history of this city uh, that has broken over time, it's that very thing. It's the family. It's, it's, the, it's fathers taking their place. It's moms being connected to fathers and building healthy families that raise robust children who are able to then go into their adulthood and later life and fulfill all of what God has called them to do. So as much as it's important for us to have a relationship with God, God uses, even as that artist says, parents in our lives. And uh, so what we're wanting to touch on is the development of our kids. And here's the reason why, is because the church, we're not going to go into it today, the church is called to be family. And uh, we've known church in times past to be a meeting that this thing that we're doing here is like church. I go to church. That is not anything of the biblical idea of what Jesus actually started when he called people to follow him and in, in essence live with him and become family. And then we see when Jesus left in the early church, the description that we see in those early chapters of the book of Acts is that they were eating together regularly, which I love, right? Like that's the kind of church I wanna be a part of, quite frankly. Is, is one that has food at, at the center. Uh, but so family is core to the identity and how did God even represent who he was through Jesus in the ministry of Jesus? That God is the father and that Jesus came manifesting as the, and these are family terms. The whole idea is that God, that God is wanting to express that what he's always intended is for family and in fact the Godhead himself is family and the extension of his will into the earth very simply through the church is the creation of family one where we would be reconciled into right relationship back with God the Father but we would experience the reality of family together but not only is the church intended to be family and healthy family that we would do life together, not just meet together and do an hour and a half of whatever you wanna call this, but that we would do life together. The church is people, not a building, right? And that is made up of increasingly healthy and robust families. And to that end, we're wanting to discuss these things now. So what we looked at is in Luke chapter two, many of you would know the story, at the age of 12, Jesus went with his whole, his family, but went with his whole community to the city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And uh, when they were going back to Nazareth, returning back, it was like two days into the journey that his parents realized that Jesus wasn't actually with them, the 12 year old Jesus. And they go back and they find him. I'm not gonna go into the details of that story, but it says that when they found him in the temple, that he returned with them back to Nazareth and he made himself subject to his parents. And it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with man, and favor with God. Four areas that are identified in how the human, the man, Jesus, had to develop in his childhood to become the man that he was called to be. And so we have the privilege as parents 
to help our kids develop specifically in those four areas. Wisdom, meaning the mental and educational development. Stature, meaning the physical development. It's actually important that our kids learn to become healthy in their body. And we talked about fun things like diet and exercise a couple weeks ago. Some of you are grateful you weren't here a couple weeks ago. And uh, favor with uh, God, in other words, a healthy relationship with God, which we looked at last week. And today we're going to begin looking at favor with man, in other words, healthy social development. Are you ready? So, first of all, I want to acknowledge this. For those of you who are parents, if you wouldn't mind just slipping your hand up, if, if you are parents, let me, let me put everyone at ease. Parenting is hard. And if it's not hard for you, I, God bless you. Parenting is hard. And uh, most of the time, the best of us are going to feel in some ways like we're failing in some kind of area. And wh- the reason is, is because we're, we're not perfect. <laughs> and, we're, and we ourselves, in, in essence, are being parented by the Father and we're continuously growing. It's okay if you're not perfect. However, don't let the fact that you're not perfect stop you from growing as a parent. And so that's what we're going to be looking at right now. Helping our kids develop socially. Uh, Social development is critical to our development in life. And in fact, if you boil life down, so much of it boils down simply to relationships. What actually brings fulfillment in this life boils down in some way. There's very little that you can achieve of substance and value in this world that doesn't have something to do with relating to other humans. So learning to develop and relate to other humans is so critical for both our fulfillment of our purpose and also satisfactory life. And we want that for our kids, right? So when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, I had, you know, my father, maybe he didn't pass down something of the faith that I've come to find in Jesus that I experienced later in life. Um, he has now experienced that and, and that kind of thing. But I'll tell you this, my dad passed on to me something of unconditional love and affirmation. Something that today, having been involved in pastoral ministry, worked with people for years, I've come to find that that is such a critical thing that I feel very privileged and blessed and even responsible with, that I had a dad who gave me something of that affirmation. I can remember every, every night as I would lie in bed as a five-year-old, my dad would come in, my dad, um, we, he would grab both of my hands and, and he, would, he would say, do you know how much I love you? And he would take my hands and he would say, not this much, not this much, not this much, but this much. And, uh, and every night hearing that, as an adult, I, I know that that sank into my being, not just that, but the affirmation and love that I would hear throughout the day, uh, that developed something of feeling loved. But the first thing that I want to say to us today is we're, as we're looking at how do we develop our kids uh, socially, it's three particular areas, okay? The first is affirmation, which, I'm gonna, which I just referred to and we'll talk about. That develops a sense of security, a sense of confidence, and a sense of identity, all of which are critical in a person being able to form healthy relationships with other homo sapiens. Security, confidence, and identity. That thing, the power of affirmation. And, my, my, and so for some of you who may not be parents in the room, and you may say, how does this even apply to me? Because 
Some things that we go into adulthood, when we're no longer under our parents' tutorage, it's now, in a sense, up to us to develop in these areas. And so we want to look at that and know this, that any area that we need to develop in, God does not want to leave us, kind of, you go, you go develop your sense of identity, I'll be over here, tell me when you got it down. He wants to actually be involved with us through relationship with him today to help us in that area. And it's as simple oftentimes as just turning our heart and asking. Okay, so affirmation is the first key. The second is um, instruction. Our kids need to, anything that we've learned on how to have healthy relationships with people, it is transferred by the medium of instruction. And then thirdly would be discipline, which is looked at as a four letter word in some, in some places, but it is a beautiful thing, not because it feels good to discipline our kids and like take revenge upon their, their bad behavior because it is an important part of instruction. It's actually an expression of love and responsibility towards our kids. So affirmation. There uh, many, some of you would know that I left uh, a church service, a couple or a gathering or whatever, a few weeks ago, and I had the exquisite pleasure of being invited by someone close to me to join them to the U2 concert that happened at Ford Field. And um, it was a really cool moment in my life. And so if you know anything about Bono, I mean, I mean anybody know of Bono in here? Just making sure. So Bono, if you, if you kind of look into his life, there's kind of been a, much of the background of his life and even his career and his creative expression came from what was a very awkward and strained relationship with his father. And he lived most of his life wanting to hear those words, I love you, from his dad. And uh, so around the time that they were getting really huge, they had uh, the first concert in America where Bono's dad flew from Ireland to go be a, see this American concert where they've become huge in, you know, in the, in the big America, in Plano, Texas. And um, in front of 20,000 people, Bono arranged with the lighting guys to find out exactly which seat his dad would be in so that at a particular part of the concert, he could recognize his dad, they would shine the light exclusively on him, and, um, and which he did. And, and when they shone that light on, on his dad, uh, he just kind of, in typical staunch Irish you know, character, just waved his fist at his son uh, for pointing him out like this and surprising him. But after the concert, which was a royal success, he goes back into the dressing room and, um, and he's, he's Bono's there and he hears these familiar footsteps coming behind and he turned around and he saw his dad and, and his dad had kind of teary eyes and he, and he felt that kind of surreal moment here and he said his heart started to beat because he thought that this is the moment that I've been waiting all my life for. He's gonna tell me that he loves me. And he stuck out his hand and told Bono, son, you're very professional. And, uh, and the, if you've heard the song, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own, um, which was an ode to his father that he actually wrote when his father died in the early 2000s and he sang at his father's funeral. Um, his father had been an opera lover and had been a tenor and had had strong influence on Bono and his upbringing in terms of love for music and he wrote these words to this man that he had always wanted to hear the simple words I love you uh, and had never heard them and he, and, he, and he writes can you hear me when I sing 
you're the reason I sing. You're the reason why the opera is in me. And Bono later said that great performers are supposed to play to the back of the hall, but to really driven, or but really driven performers, I think you'll find are playing to one person. It might be a lover, but it might be your father. So in other words, Bono's entire career, in some ways, was that drive for the seeking of affirmation and love from the father that never gave it to him. Powerful thing, right? Would you agree? And I had a friend um, in Tennessee years ago who told me about how his father, likewise, had never really affirmed him, never really expressed that thing to him. And he, and he recalled to me, he's probably about 60 years old today, and he recalled to me this moment where he was in one room and he had such a strained relationship with his father. He was sitting in one room and he heard his younger sister walk into the adjacent room where his father was sitting and he overheard her say, Dad, do you love us? And his heart filled with dread of what might come out of his mouth and his father never said anything, just left it there. And the, the, the pain, he described it would almost have been easier if he would have heard like a definite yes or no, but the pain of never knowing throughout the course of his entire upbringing, does dad actually love me? And, and he struggled later on with all sorts of depression and, um, and significant, you know, kind of psychological and emotional issues. Affirmation with our kids is so incredibly critical. And I can remember one time my mom um, went to one of these, I don't know what we even call them, one of these um, retreats with her church where you, um, I can't think of the name of it, but, but, you, but family members are supposed to write letters and, and they, they spend a lot of time alone and, and then they have, they get, that's where they receive all these fa- letters from family members and they asked me to, to write one to my mom and I can remember him just expressing uh, gratitude for her. And I remember as I was considering my gratitude for my mom, I was probably about 30 years old at the time, just realizing that my mom always told me throughout, I can remember over and over hearing from my mom uh, that I'm special and that I've got, there are like big things that are gonna happen in my life. I heard that over and over and over. And when you get older and you've heard that, you, one begins to wonder at some point, is that really true? But somehow, like who says, you know? But somehow hearing that over and over from my mom caused me to believe as an adult that I am special and that I do, I have been endowed with certain gifts and talents that make me a contributor to the people around me. Kids need to hear that. Not some make-believe lie that they're special and I don't really know what it is, but oh yes, son, you're special. Identification from the father, from the mother, of the gifts that you see inside of the kids, lace it on, lay it on thick. And when your kids are failing, still go ahead and continue to affirm. Because all of us are at all times failing and succeeding at something, and kids throughout their upbringing need to hear affirmation from their parents to enter into adulthood believing, I am special, I have talents, God has given me special things and I've got something to give. I'm secure, I'm confident, and I know something of identity. It is powerful. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
when somebody notices something that you think is good in you, but they notice it and it affirms that thing that you stand in two, two, on two legs from that moment forward knowing that, that thing, that, that gift, that talent, that special thing in me is real. And so Jesus, if you'll look with me to Luke, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 3, verse 21, <clears throat> I just want <clears throat> to bring this out. That Jesus himself, we see in the life of Jesus, just as he developed as a human in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man, the man Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus the man, Christ being the, the, the deity, God and man, Jesus the man needed affirmation from his father before he entered into the thing that God had called him to at the age of 30. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, this is when Jesus was baptized. From this moment, he would enter into his ministry. And this is what it says in verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. The person, Jesus, even Jesus needed to hear those words from his father. To know I am your beloved and you're pleased with me. And to move forward on the confidence of that expression, that affirmation into the crazy thing that God had called him to do. And every person in this room needs to know that, actually. That in our receiving Jesus as our Lord, the Bible says we become a new creation we are recreated, our bodies don't change, and a lot of the baggage that we have doesn't necessarily change in that moment, but our spirit, the innermost being, becomes aligned and connected perfectly with him. That becomes new, and that is created, according to the scripture, in his image, and he's well pleased with us, even though we did nothing other than receive it. And you need to know that God is now well pleased. You are his beloved son or daughter, as we receive him by faith. So I just want to say a couple of things um, <clears throat> on a practical lever, a le uh, or a lever, I don't know, a level, lever, whatever, is that <clears throat> don't ever speak of flaws towards our children that confer identity upon them. We're all flawed, it's not our identity. We're here to serve our kids and help them with their flaws, not confer upon them failure as an identity. Don't ever say something like that, ever, ever. And if you do, get on your hands and knees to them and, and apologize. Say, I was wrong in saying that. It was my emotions, that was my problem, not you. My boy, you, you are wonderful. Can we agree with that? We want strong, robust families to, to be able to effectively help the rest of the city of Detroit. <clears throat> and a couple of tips that I would just say, one is, as I said earlier, to affirm kids in spite of their imperfections. It's always the sense of the imperfections that they don't deserve my affirmation because I need to make sure that they know that they're wrong about this because they need to fix it. And in the midst of their imperfections, they still need to hear daddy, they still need to hear mommy say, I love you, I see the good in you, you are my son always, my daughter always. 
And uh, for some of you, maybe you didn't receive this from your dad. Maybe you didn't receive it from your mom. Maybe you're just of a personality type that that's awkward and you don't know how to express it. And it's been 12 years and your kids are teenagers now. And it's late to start that now. I would say this, do it anyway. And if it's awkward and if they look like they're upset with you for doing it and they don't believe you, keep on doing it. Keep on saying it. Lay it on. Let them know. Because it's true. It's not a make-believe thing. It's true. They really are beloved. So, again, affirmation critical to developing healthy social life in that you stand on the basis of having security, confidence, and identity. I I love affirming my kids, actually, by the way. Isn't that, I mean, that's easy. That's like the easiest part of parenting. So let's just enjoy that part. And maybe it's not parenting, maybe it's mentoring. Maybe you're involved in mentoring or something like that. Maybe you're helping to disciple somebody with your faith. Affirm, 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 affirm. Let's go on to the next thing. Two of three things. Instruction. So as some of you know, my family moved back from South Africa uh, a year. Actually, it was a year this Thursday, Wednesday. It will be, this Wednesday will be one year anniversary that we've moved back to America from South Africa in this beloved city of Detroit. The last year that we lived in South Africa, we uh, didn't have a TV. And, um, and that wasn't because we were living in a grass hut, you know, somewhere with, with elephants walking around. It was just because it was a lot, our TV broke and it was just too expensive to fix. Uh, and we only had one year left. And so anyways. So this, a lot of what you Americans have been experiencing, we didn't, and we moved here, and we got a Netflix account, life-changing, and uh, we, we discovered this series called Parenthood. And, uh, and yeah, my friend Jamie introduced us to it, and uh, some of you may have varying opinions of Parenthood. I think it's brilliant. But uh, I was saying to my wife the other day, that um, at the intro to the, to the, to the show, It shows all these pictures and kind of video footage of the family around this big table outside of the grandparents' house. And uh, there's like a Bob Dylan in the first couple, uh, 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 what what is it, seasons, thank you. See, I don't even know these words anymore. It's like seasons. I need to stop speaking Zulu in my head. I'm I'm just kidding. That was uh, seasons, yeah, that was... uh, So it was like the first three seasons is a Bob Dylan song, and they show all these pictures of, of... of people sitting and eating around a table. And then they'll go to each individual character and show maybe a picture of them when they were younger, but then it will go back to them at this scene of them eating around a table. And I said to Minda, isn't it interesting that it is so innate inside of our psyche when we think of family, because that's the whole concept of the show, when we think of family, the most kind of quintessential idea of family is around a table sharing a meal. So I want to just point that out to us in the development of family, prioritize at church's family that we need to share meals together, but also as family, prioritize eating together in quality conversation. So that temptation, which I love, I mean, honestly, if it was up to me, I would just sit in my chair, plate on my lap and like watch something and like, that's like cool. But, but that ruins my opportunities to really instruct my kids. So I'm just going to share something that we have found very valuable as a family. We'll share it with you. You don't need to literally take this to its exact, but I I think it's a helpful model. It's a helpful tool. 
every, not every night, but many nights, what we do when we're sitting around a, a, a table is uh, we ask the question, Peter, what do we ask? Uh, oh, sorry, I called on you. You're like, you're like thinking about Clash of Clans right now. No. <laughs> okay, that's fine. We, uh, <laughs> we, we ask the question, thorns, roses, and buds. And, and what that is, how many of you have ever heard of that, actually? Okay, so, thorns, roses, and buds. Now, here's the idea. Everybody around the table answers the question, what was the thorn of their day, which is like the, the prickly thing, the thing that was least enjoyable, the thing that, that, they, that was maybe even painful. What is the rose that shows what is the most beautiful part of the day? What was the most enjoyable? And then what is the bud? In other words, that thing that maybe it's tomorrow or maybe it's next week, it hasn't really bloomed yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Why is that important? It gives you a window in every day into every member of the family what is happening in their heart. As a parent, that becomes an incredible instruction moment where you're able to hear what's happened in the course of their day. What were their struggles? Sometimes if you don't ask these questions, you don't actually hear the moment that caused them pain and are able to instruct them on how they can respond, what maybe they could have done differently, how they can address this moving forward. And the same thing, you hear what was beautiful in their day and you begin to hear more about what is happening in their lives in a good sense. And you're able to celebrate it with them and be in that journey as well as the things that they're looking forward to. It's a powerful thing. And so uh, it's a bonding thing, and that's the key. I would just encourage you, do something like that as a family. And here's a social tip in terms of giving instruction to our kids. You ready? A social tip uh, that I think is critical, especially with younger kids, is, um, is this, to teach them. Now, what I'm about to say, let me just warn you, brace. It's hard, okay? But it's, it's for their good. Teach them to greet. So when you're going into a social moment, you're visiting a friend's house, you're coming to church, or you're, you're going to college, whatever, teach your kids to greet people. Why? Because it is our oftentimes innate um, tendency to be shy and to, and to not want to interact with people. If we teach our kids to greet, that teaches them the following things. It teaches them to care about others. It teaches them secondarily to notice others. How many of you like to be noticed, by the way? Honestly, how many of us, I mean, how many of us like to be ignored and to feel as though no one notices us? <laughs> okay, <laughs> other than the teenager. <laughs> it's, it, it's fundamental to our psyche that we want people to notice us and part of friendship is that somebody notices us. And so in teaching our kids to greet, it's teaching them the practice of preferring other people by noticing them, even if you're not noticed. It's teaching them to confidently, to project confidence and assert themselves socially and to get over shyness. Shyness can oftentimes be misunderstood as selfishness. And shyness that is without any boundaries becomes selfish because we're not getting over ourselves to connect with the other person. If they learn from the age of two or three, I would say, we started with Peter probably around three. It, it's a long haul and they're not gonna wanna do it. 
And sometimes they're not going to do it, but you stay on top of that over and over that they look in the eye, they stick out the hand, and they say, hello, Miss Menda, how are you? Important. That is a skill they will take for the rest of their lives in terms of developing social skills. If I want to make friends, I need to be a friend. I need to show myself friendly. If I want friends, I need to take the first step. Social skills. So I strongly encourage everybody uh, to seriously consider that. Just a couple, um, or one other thing is my experience as a teacher. For three years I taught directly out of college. And uh, it was my experience, as I, re- as I said a couple weeks ago, that um, sadly you would see kids who, who had certain needs. And I don't just mean like learning disabilities perhaps, but uh, just certain needs that then the teacher's responsibility would be to communicate that to the parents. And sometimes you would see the shocking reality of the parent could not hear of the flaw in their kids. And I don't know what that would be. Perhaps they feel flaw in their kids as some kind of a representation of themselves and they don't want to acknowledge that. Sometimes it's the mama bear syndrome. Mama bear, are you messing with my kid? Honestly. Like teachers can be, you know, inappropriately seen as the enemy when, when and sometimes teachers are enemies, it's not, but, but in the school I was, they were honestly trying to serve the parents. Parents couldn't receive it because of, I don't know, they felt attacked or whatever. And the sad thing is, do you know who loses out in that situation? It's not the teacher, it's not the parent, it's the kid. Because part of what kids need is developing and grooming and and needs instruction and and to lift things that are low. And if you don't identify those things, the kid misses out on developmental opportunities. Why am I saying this? Maybe especially moms, but any of us, take the goggles off. That's what I vowed in my own heart as a teacher. I see how those parents with, the, with love in their heart for their kids are actually doing damage to their own kids. And I remember vowing in my heart, when I'm a parent, I do not want to be that parent. And to stand before God one day and say, my boys couldn't develop because of me. And so I'm just encouraging everybody, take from that experience. You're, just know that there is probably goggles that we wear with our own kids and to be that much more diligent in saying, my kids have flaws and I need to help them with it. And sometimes I don't see it, because sometimes we're blind. I mean, our kids hung the moon, right? I mean, we got the best kid in the world. Actually, some of you are like, uh, no, I don't feel that way. (laughs) So lastly, discipline. Like I said earlier, discipline has in some ways become a four-letter word. Why? Because generations gone by, I was actually talking to a friend earlier here this morning about how their, their... parents' generation disciplined. And it was essentially this. You do bad, maybe you get a, 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 a grade at school that's under what we expect. Maybe you get a C and you get punished and there's no instruction, it's just punishment. That's, that's the discipline. And there's a whole generation that grew up with that kind of um, approach from parenting and made a decision that they are not gonna be those parents. And so oftentimes what that happens is the pendulum swings so far the other direction that you throw out the baby with the bathwater. And you say, discipline's bad, I'm just gonna shower my kids with praise and love and blah, blah, blah. And I was a product of that, to be quite honest with you. My parents showered me with praise, and, and, but then when I became an adult, I was like, why didn't you tell me? This is the way the world really works. 
I need to be disciplined. So that was my upbringing. But so what I'm, what I'm saying is discipline is a expression of love to our kids if it's done from a place of love and taking responsibility for them. And in fact, you can't take responsibility for your kids and not discipline. The two go hand in hand. So the issue isn't should I or should I not discipline, it's I need to discipline, but let's not do it the wrong way, let's correct the way it's done. So if you'll read with me a scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of the way God disciplines as a window into how, if we're following him, how we discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible for this particular verse. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Listen, I've got this underlined, verse six. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Therefore, when he disciplines, it's an expression of his what? And as parents, is it not love if we discipline? You can answer, that's not a rhetorical question. Okay, you don't even get the question because there's too many double negatives there. I'm saying if we, if we discipline, is that not love? Is that like something other than love? No, if we just, okay, just forget it. <laughs> All right, I get what I'm trying to say, okay? <laughs> need to teach our kids how to effectively communicate so we can have relationships. So for this, discipline is, is love. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. I want every parent in here to take that into the core of their being, that discipline, as in punishment, is loving your child. Punishment that comes from something other than love, something that is selfish, something that is retaliatory, something that is revenge-oriented, that is not love, don't do that. And if you can't, there are actually some procedures that I think that we can put in place to do it the right way, but discipline is a blessing in and of itself. Let's continue. He loves those he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure, underline, or I've got this underlined, God deals with you as sons. In other words, if, if he disciplines you, it's because he's made you his own. And he's taken responsibility, and he's saying, here you go, my boy, my daughter, come, this is the way. Oh, oh, no, 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 not that way. Come here, this way. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate children. Another translation says bastards. I don't know which one is more appropriate. And not sons. Discipline teaches these two things. And I, when I say discipline, again, I mean punishment for wrong behavior. And we're going to get into a little bit more of what specifically we mean. Discipline teaches these two things. Number one, respect. It is very difficult to in, engage in healthy relationships with people without respecting other people. A lack of respect for others is recipe for very dysfunctional relationships. It teaches respect for others, and it teaches preferring others. As I said, both of these keys to social development. I had a friend um, in South Africa, awesome, incredible guy. Honestly, this family, this, the, the, the Morgan family, they were part of our pastoral team of the church that we were pastoring in, in South Africa. 
Um, I don't want to say Brady Bunch because that was, but like what, like the picture perfect family, like their their house was always beautiful and everything was all, always in order and it was just lovely. It was like the sh- the sun always shone in through the windows, and uh, and you went there and their kids uh, they were such delights. And um, <clears throat> I can remember when we first started the relationship with them, their daughter, their younger daughter, was three years old, and um, and she had an attitude. And she was strong-willed. And I remember uh, they wanted her to greet me when I came into the house, and she didn't want to do that. She was like, mm. did this whole thing. And, and, and I would talk to her, and she would just kind of be angry that I was talking to her. And I made a choice in that moment. You know, she's my project. I'm going to win her over. She's, she's going to be my girl. And, and in the end, she is such today. How old is Ruth now? Eight, Eight probably. She's, she's cute. So she's high on the list of who I want my younger son to marry because they're like the same age. She is seriously pretty and, and cute, but uh, delightful little girl, like just loving and outward and, and all of that. Now, let me tell you something about uh, Ruth. She, there was a moment in her uh, earlier, around the time that I met her, where she had, I think it was peanuts in her hand, and in anger with her parents, uh, again, the age of three or so, she threw them down on the floor and she looked at her parents. And, uh, and Stu, who had done this exact same thing with his older daughter, Hannah, when she was the same age, exact same scenario, he uh, told her, you need to pick those up. And she just stood there and, and, the, and the showdown began. <laughs> Both thought that it was like the draw. Which one is it? And, and Stu, uh, now I'm, I, this could offend some people, but this is just the reality. He, I don't know if he used the hand or the belt or what, but he spanked her and, uh, and, and, and walked, talked her through what was wrong. You need to go pick those up. Uh-uh. Spanking number two. You need to go pick, pick those up. Mm-mm. Number three, 12 times. And, uh, and in the end, she finally picked those up they had, there was a strength of will in that girl. Something to be praised. Yeah. That's a good thing in her. She, that we celebrate that. Mm-hmm. But it can't be in the, in the used for disrespect and dishonor. And over time, she is used, she's confident, outgoing, strong-willed, knows how to make a contribution, but, um, but she respects others and she knows how to relate to people. Discipline, my friends. Discipline. So, common errors when it comes to discipline. One, discipline that is not consistent. So, in other words, you say what the discipline is going to be two minute timeout, five minute whatever, and then somewhere down the road it just kind of fizzles out. Or we discipline one moment. In another moment, we overlook it. Inconsistent, common error, don't do that. Kids need, in their development, boundaries. And those boundaries, it is like guarding this thing that is pushed against every day, and you have to stand, you know, stand in that thing and hold the line. Do not, do not allow that boundary to be pushed. Why? Because they need boundaries. Do they like boundaries? No, but they do. They do because they're secure when they know the boundaries. 
They know what to expect. And those boundaries need to be formulated around what is in their best interest in terms of how to behave with other people in the context of family and just in the context of with other humans. Second common error, discipline without a heart connection. Go to your room. Go to your room. Or far worse, corporal punishment that never includes the heart connection. Shame on any of us if we ever discipline through corporal punishment and do not end it with a connection at a heart level. Damaging, not helpful. If you don't know how to do that without connecting at a heart level, then don't use corporal punishment. Damaging. But sometimes I have found, and Peter can agree, my son, that corporal punishment is just necessary because it's the thing that gets through. Cor punishment needs to do this. It needs to have somewhat of an emotional impact on the child. If they don't care about the punishment, you're not doing anything. It needs to hurt. So be it, emote, uh, be it the removal of a privilege or physical pain, as long as that's within boundaries and you're not abusing your child, uh, that's the key. So discipline without a heart connection. Thirdly, common error would be discipline with emotions and tone of voice. Guilty as charged this morning, your pastor. <laughs> got frustrated, or no, it was last night. Got frustrated, spoke out of that place, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm preaching about this tomorrow, and I just did it. <laughs> and I'm, all, I'm only saying that to just say, this is the reality. Where none of us are perfect, but that doesn't change the truth of what I'm saying. That, and, I, and here's the truth of what I'm saying, is that emotions don't teach our kids. Peter! If he's done something wrong, that hasn't taught him anything. Do you know, in fact, that it has taught him something? You know what it taught him? That my wrong behavior can have a negative impact on my dad. I can manipulate his mood by my behavior. If I want to take him off, I can do this. Dis, uh, emotions and tone of voice do not discipline our kids. Consequences discipline our kids. When it's consequences, we don't even have to respond emotionally. We can just say, here's the consequence, you knew it was coming, and you're gonna have to face it. Then they emote in that moment, and you, you hold your ground. I'm not gonna go there, I'm not gonna get emotional. And so I'm gonna get into a practical thing that I think is gonna helpful, be helpful with that very thing. Because emotions, monitoring your own emotions in the, in the context of discipline is so important. Fourth uh, and last of the common errors before I give, just kind of end this with some positive instruction, is empty threats. One more word, and then that other word comes out, and you don't do anything. I'm warning you. What are you warning? <laughs> if they do it again, nothing. One, two, Three, three and a half? Teaching kids, there are no boundaries. There are only emotions and ideas. There's only tone. There are no boundaries. Consequences that are enforced and are not let up on, that gives the child the boundaries. Am I making sense? So um, <clears throat> here is what I'm gonna say in terms of the proper procedure with discipline. Number one is punishment. When something has happened, well, first of all, you know, before I even say that, let me say this. 
Discipline is serving. Before we even talk about how to discipline, let's just grapple with that in our hearts. It is for the purpose of serving. And by serving, I do not mean serving ourselves. Our kids are going to be a challenge to us. And it's going to be a huge temptation for us to want our kids to behave in such a way that we're not harmed. That's not the objective. It is to instruct. So from a place of instruction, number one is punish. Let there be punishment. Number two, after the punishment is a time of instruction. So the child needs to hear from you after the punishment is executed or even before what they did wrong with an opportunity to make it right. That's incredibly important. Let the child and lead them. And at a younger age, I would even encourage you to teach them to say they're sorry. You may say, well, maybe they're not sorry. No, you need to teach them to say they're sorry and to own it. Why? Because once they do that, they realize that that's important to do when they've done something wrong against somebody else. Is to say you're sorry and to acknowledge it. And then critical is forgiveness. And, uh, and there are many times where with my son, either one of my sons, they've said I'm sorry and I, and I looked at them in the eye. Sometimes still being angry with them. Said my boy, I forgive you. And what I mean by that is it's as if you never did it. And they need to hear that. But don't hold this against you, you're mine. So <clears throat> this is what we do with our two boys now that they're over a certain age. Because I would say between the ages of five and 10 probably, for most kids, corporal punishment becomes inappropriate. And taking away privileges or what I'm about to explain becomes more appropriate. For us, it's reset. It is a gift from the Father of lights. Reset. What is that? That is when they've done something wrong, you, have, you send them to solitary confinement in their bedroom. No toys, no anything. And for us, it is the number of minutes of years that they have life. So for Peter, who's 13, it's 13 minutes. If they do another thing later in the day that requires another reset, it's double that. The next one's 26. Next one's 39. Next one's 52, next one's 65, and so on and so forth. Are you following? No, 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 doubling, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, that was way too easy. It's 13, then 26, then 52, then 104, then you double it each time. Teaches them something. Reset, they go in for that number of minutes, then you go back in, and when, they, when they're done with reset, they need to tell you what they did and what they should have done instead. You talk that through, Make sure that they understand, and then you go through what I just explained, you, the forgiveness thing. That makes sense? Critically important. For those of you who are wondering about corporal punishment, I just want to read these scriptures, because some of you could have had bad experiences. Maybe you've heard a psychologist say that your kids are going to grow up and, and have, be emotionally traumatized and damaged through corporal punishment. And I want to say again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you can't do corporal punishment from a place of instruction, then don't do it. If you can't do it and, and control yourself from going overboard, then don't do it. But that does not mean corporal punishment is bad. It's actually a tool and uh, a useful one. You walk that journey to find out what works with your kids. But let's just read these. In the Bible, it speaks of the rod of correction, the rod. And that's speaking of like a switch or some physical thing that you use for discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, this is the Bible. This is God speaking. Does God love us? 
Does God want us to be emotionally traumatized? Okay, that's good. So Proverbs 13, 24, from the God who loves us and wants us to be whole, says whoever spares the rod, corporal punishment, hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 22, 15, folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Did you know that? We all think, oh, our children, they're just so wonderful. No, there's foolishness in all of us. It's bound up in the heart. I mean, they are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't mean that there's not some foolishness that needs to be addressed. The rod of discipline will drive it far away. We want to enter into adulthood without that foolishness messing up our lives. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Proverbs 29, 15, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces his, its mother. Why? Because their lack of right behavior is a reflection of your lack of proper discipline. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement there, Pastor. It's true. It is, it is true. Please don't be condemned by that, but... Um, you know, we're all in a journey, but we want to give our kids the best. Yes. We want to give them the best so that they are blessed and so that the city is blessed and so that we can bless the city with broken families and show them the way forward with healthy, robust families and children. So just in, in closing, remember discipline is to reflect the Father to your kids. And let me ask you this, how many of you have had God be patient with you in your shortcomings? And he has been enduring with you and, and long-suffering with you. The same is going to be that and that much more with our own children. It's going to be the same issue over and over and over sometimes. And you wonder, what is this for? I, nothing is changing. I want to encourage you. You keep those boundaries and they are far better off when you release them from the nest than they would be if you never gave them those boundaries. So uh, I'm just going to ask Kurt, can you maybe give us a little background? I just want to pray and actually give you an opportunity right now to pray yourself. This is serious, guys. This is incredibly important. There's little that I think next to, in terms of the things of this world, I mean, we've got our relationship with God, the most important thing, but after that, it's family. This is important. And I'm asking us to sincerely um, invite God into areas in response to what we're saying. And, and here's the thing, I, I say this often, when we're looking at the word of God, God speaks to our hearts. And when somebody speaks to your heart, it's actually rude to not acknowledge it. And so in this moment, to acknowledge that anything that you feel God spoke to your heart that enlightened, to make that conversational and to respond to him and accept it. And here's what you need to, here's what we can do is we can ask him sincerely, the father who loves us. We can acknowledge his way and we can ask him for help in that. So for some of us, if I could just ask you to, if you feel comfortable just to shut your eyes. I realize that when we touch on these things, we also touch on bad memories that we ourselves have from our own lack that we never received from our parents. And first of all, if there are any of us here, probably most of us in some way, where our parents didn't give us what we needed. And that has caused us pain. 
And that is a pain that you didn't deserve. And that is a pain that you didn't choose. And I, I want to just say that we, God has been faithful and, and he's been patient with us because we're flawed. And I want to say that that lack of whatever we didn't receive from our parents is not a reflection of you or your worth. It's a reflection of the pain and the lack of your parents. And Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. In many cases, our parents just didn't know what they were doing. And it's important that we're able to forgive in order to move on in what God wants for us. I just want to ask you to take that old step and to forgive, to release, release, Release your parents and some of us like me, maybe we had loads of affirmation but didn't have the instruction and the discipline that we needed. And there, and there was a lack of, of formation in our lives that we kind of had to navigate as adults. Just to invite you right, right in this moment to ask God to help you in any of those areas of your life that you know that you're entering into adulthood not having formed and you need help with that. Ask him right now. Acknowledge him. And for those of you who are parents, I just want to ask you to ask this question in your own heart. What today was applicable to you? What spoke to you? What registered? What? And just make it an issue of faith that God doesn't want to just say something to you or cause you to see something and then leave you to your own devices. He actually wants to get in there with you and help you. I want to ask that you would acknowledge that area as a parent that you need help in. and invite him to help you become what you presently are not. So Father, we, we pray, just like we prayed earlier, we pray for the children in this church, we pray for every household, every single mom, every parental unit, every child. Lord, we're looking to you and saying that we actually don't know how to do this thing without you, but you do, and we want to thank you that you're with us. You want to show us. And we ask you to create in this church robust, healthy family relationships. I want to pray wherever there is division at a family level, even right now, where hearts have been divided, I want to ask God that you would cause there to be reconciliation. You are the God of miracles. You are the God of reconciliation. I want to ask God that you would cause there to be reconciliation. That there would be repentance and there would be making things right. You would rectify things, God, and you are good. We ask you to do that in all of our lives. And Lord, we also pray that you don't only help us, but you would help us so that we can help others. We want to, again, pray for the families. Pray for the children who don't even have dads, don't even have proper parental leadership in their lives. 
Lord, we ask you to give them to us. We ask you to connect us to them and we ask that you would help us to help them, that they would find family in your family and they would become who you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.